Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. Pick a target! So the episode starts off, uh, Obi-Wan, Anakin, and their clone troops are defending an Oda Room City from a droid attack. Obi-Wan is getting his butt kicked when Anakin comes along to save the day. He walks out and surrenders to the Separatists uh, and to get the tactical droid to get in sight. He force pulls them and stabs them, leaving the rest of the battle droids helpless to pick off. Uh, and then Obi-Wan and Anakin are called into a meeting after this battle ends um, where they run into uh, an old friend, Ahsoka and Bo-Katan. And so this is quite uh, an emotional reunion because Ahsoka has been gone for some period of time, and I'll need you to explain to me some of the history on that. Um, it's a little tense. Uh, she finds it a little strange that she's receiving as much respect and adulation among this crowd as she is, but it's explained to her that, look, you're a hero. You're a good guy. That's that's all the, the clone troopers need to understand. Um, I don't exactly remember what the middle act of this episode uh, contains, except for that Ultimately, the mission is to track down Maul, who they believe is um, uh, kind of quarantining, so to speak, in a specific town on Mandalore. Yeah, so they're essentially negotiating back and forth as to whether or not the Jedi will be able to, uh, or at least the Republic will be able to help in capturing Maul. uh, And in exchange, they can have Maul and Mandalore will then be uh, back in the power of Mandalorians. Uh, Obi-Wan's hesitant, but the last Jedi Council, all the while uh, the opening elements of uh, the crawl for Revenge of the Sith occur. And uh, the attack on Coruscant has occurred, and uh, General Grievous has kidnapped Palpatine, saying, Anakin, sorry, we can't help. Uh, we got to go. Uh, Anakin, in that time, has divided the troops and gives half of his 501st Division to Ahsoka so that that way they can then leave, but he's not leaving Ahsoka high and dry. Uh, They share a nice moment. Uh, He gives her back her old lightsabers, but he's replaced the uh, kyber crystal in them, or he hasn't replaced the kyber crystal, actually. He's retuned the lightsaber and refocused the light to allow it to be blue uh, because he's such a good mechanic, uh, and so he's been able to refocus it in that way. It's a little bit of toying. Uh, but she kind of smirks and and takes her lightsabers back. Um, And then Anakin and Obi-Wan go off and do Revenge of the Sith and start that out. Uh, And then Ahsoka, uh, Bo-Katan, and the 501st uh, go back to Mandalore. Uh, They're getting on to Mandalore. They get attacked uh, by the Prime Minister's posse of Mandalorian goons who work for Maul. Uh, And then once they get to the surface, they go into the throne room, uh, and then Ahsoka takes the troops... uh, uh, underground and in the throne room uh, some of the mandalorians uh take over and uh take down the prime minister and those who are mall supporters uh whereas bo-katan's crew gets that back and then ahsoka is underneath it was kind of an entrapment of ahsoka they kind of lured her down in there and uh she was she was bested briefly and then she finds herself at a sort of intersection of uh subterranean plumbing uh, and there she meets uh, face-to-face Darth Maul, who is a little disappointed that it's not Kenobi. And that's kind of the, the first thing he says before the episode ends. Gee, I wish you were Kenobi, because as we understand, he's, uh, he's still got a chip on his, chip on his shoulder about all that. So um, really, mm. really uh, important to note that um, this is sort of the last time we see Anakin be uh like hubris heavy heroic dude who doesn't seem to have a dark side so to speak like it's so interesting that 
this movie we've seen a bunch of times, Revenge of the Sith, is so concurrent with this storyline that like in that opening uh, aerial sequence in Revenge of the Sith, he just saw Ahsoka this morning. Like this is the same, yeah. this is the same dude. And it's not like Anakin is without any virtue in Revenge of the Sith. That's not the case at all. But like the opening sequence is essentially to show how he's he's the hero. He's the the galaxy's best hero. But obviously, like, I mean, this is more of a criticism of Revenge of the Sith than anything. But like that transition happens so uh, whiplash mm. fast um, that it's it's very hard to imagine it happening so soon when we're watching this. Like, we're, oh, that's just yeah, he's kind of a cocky mother scratcher, but like he's he's clearly still a very good guy. Um, but uh, it is cool to see this other storyline that's happening concurrently. Yeah, it's a really interesting just take on star wars and it was always something that was the intended way for the clone wars to end it was supposed to overcross this way but it's super cool that we actually finally got it and the fact that it does interlude with revenge of the sith well but it doesn't like have too, too many ties to it it's just it sets things up like the opening uh, where it kind of flashes to all the points of the galaxy and you get to see all of the Jedi on the planets where they're going to get killed. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I was thinking the opening uh, maneuver where he pretends to give himself up to the enemy and then like R2 is lurking in the distance is actually very reminiscent of Luke Skywalker in Jabba's palace where he's sneaking in. And Luke Skywalker on crate. Exactly. Like he, he kind of shows up and pretends to be, at their mercy and that's not the case yep no absolutely and he it's it's two amazing kind of homages to luke moments and they do that really well in the clone wars is uh like they do uh this kind of luke salute that he does in java sailed barge there's a point in which anakin does that as well in the clone wars and so there's like a, they do some subtleties to really uh link anakin's personality uh, or at least certain points of it parallel better with Luke. Uh, and then they do a lot with expanding out Padme's character as well and making her uh, s- strong in similar ways that Leia was. And then they bring out all of the hiding clone troopers uh, who are just hovering beneath uh, on jetpacks. And I find that interesting because we know Boba Fett is essentially just one of them, biologically speaking. And so it's striking to see these clone troopers using jetpacks. They fly now? Yeah, they fly. they fly now. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. This took place, what, 40 years? Yeah, generations 50, 60 before. years ago? 60 years ago, yeah. <laughs> they oh, damn, that didn't now. work. You're yeah. right. That kind of doesn't add up very well. Um, and but John Boyega at least called that one, which was funny. Look, it's very cool. It, it's it's a it's a really good opening sequence. It's an awesome open, opening. And that's the last we see of uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan um, in the series, right? Yeah, that is the end uh, from them. Uh, there is some other things i mean i won't really say anything other than that it's not much but it, it, it's the last time that anakin and obi uh sorry it's the last time obi-wan sorry it's the last time obi-wan and ahsoka and last time anakin and ahsoka talk to each other well then let me just take this opportunity to say again i've said to you before off microphone the guy who does the voiceover for ewan mcgregor's obi-wan kenobi does a stunning job it's perfect yeah, james arnold taylor is incredible it's yeah, perfect it's really really excellent and there's so many excellent uh, voice acting performances in the Clone Wars, and some that are a little bit uh, more uh, liberties taken, like Matt Lantern's Anakin, uh, and then there's some that are kind of the staple person who does that voice outside of the main character, the main time, the like the main actor doing that voice, uh, and then there's some that are just so spot on that you can almost get uh, pretty good replacements, like Ian McDermott. Um, 
obviously is going to be your first choice for Palpatine, but there are a few people who can do some pretty solid Palpatines. Sure. And there are people now who can do some pretty solid Vader's and things like that. And so actually I forget who is, I forget his name. He's an excellent actor. I think he was in Homeland. Um, he's, uh, I mean, I don't know. He's in his fifties probably. And, uh, I think it's the same guy. It's not, Dam- wrong, anyway. it's not Damian Lewis or Mandy Patinkin. No, 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 it's okay. not. And I, I could be getting it mixed up with somebody else. Uh, so I should probably double check this. Um, but anyway, whoever does the voice of Darth Vader in Jedi fallen order, uh, who's like, there's not been many, he hasn't done it many times, but it's exceptional. Okay. Uh, and I think he's also, I think he also does it for the, um, what's it called? The Vader VR game that I'm, it's eluding my mind at the moment, but he's like, I'd be fine if he replaced like James Earl Jones exclusively as Vader's voice, because there's certain times in which it's hard to find those sort of things. Right. Uh, but this is another example of like James Arnold Taylor is sensational and is always the first call for Obi-Wan's voice. Well, recasting uh, Darth Vader is not unlike recasting Kermit the Frog. It's like this iconic voice mm-hmm. that like you will always know it's not the original, like the, especially the hardcore fans, you'll be able to tell a difference forever and ever, but it's, it's just the effort that counts. And, you know, like yeah. I grew up with with a Kermit the Frog who wasn't Jim Henson. There's lots of really good Kermit the Frog that's not Jim Henson. And so to me, they sound the same. And then yeah. two years ago, they fired that guy and they got a new Kermit the Frog. And it just sounds insane to me now. Like it sounds like a, a disaster. And so maybe oh, I've, I I've heard the new one. Oh, it doesn't work for me at all. And so maybe I would I've spent enough time with James Earl Jones as Darth Vader that I could never get on board with the new guy. I like to think that I could. Oh, you could because it's like they're going after James Earl Jones's um, like when he was like forty years ago in yeah. his fifties, like that or forties, whatever. That they're going for that voice of James Earl Jones, not his current day one, which is the reason why you can still tell a difference. Like they're doing a much better job of James of seventies James Earl Jones than James Earl Jones can do now, right? Himself and from the seventies. Um, but even besides that, James Earl Jones alive, and I want the Obi Wan. Uh, show to be kind of intertwined with Vader. And I think that's really the last significant bit of Vader I think we need for a long, long time. That could be his swan song. Yeah, I think it would be the appropriate way to do it um, unless you find... Yeah, no, I think that's the appropriate way to do it. So we're coming at a really interesting um, dynamic between you and I where, I mean, you've always known more than me and you've always had the Clone Wars in your arsenal where I didn't have it at all. Mm. Uh, But I'm entering... Basically, the final arc of the show, having seen very, very little of the series, and you know all of it. So these next four weeks of the podcast are going to be a lot of me asking you, what does this mean? What should I know already? Um, And so uh, what has Mandalore's role been in this series up till now? Because this this episode of the show feels like a Mandalorian-adjacent episode of any show. It feels like the the main story is how Mandalore is impacted by... The Republic. The Clone Wars. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there are, um, I think I made a list of it. I think there's a, there was 21 episodes on it, which were like the, the essential 21 Clone Wars episodes. And I, I think it, that includes the, I think there's seven or eight other, maybe I don't include all of them on there in, in that really pared down one. But there have been two other key Mandalore arcs uh, that have occurred in the Clone Wars prior to this. Uh, one of them being centered around uh, Duchess Satine, uh, and Duchess Satine's uh, relationship with Obi-Wan uh, and her relationship with Mandalore and Mandalore's relationship with the rest of the Republic and the galaxy. And so Mandalore has uh, a history uh, of being a warrior culture, as we already know. Uh, but 
uh, Duchess Satine uh, has turned them very much. She is a, a pacifist leader um, of the of the planet, and she is in charge. And they are they do not partake in wars. They are not part of the Clone Wars. Uh, they do not. They are not part of the Republic. They are their own system. They are pacifists. They partake in trade in the same sort of ways. Um, but they have a moon, and that's where the crew Death Watch is is located. And Death Watch are essentially they believe they're the the more rightful um, mindset to lead Mandalore. They they have the the old the old school mindset of the way Mandalore should be. The good old days of you know war and murder. Um, but some of the same sort of like honor based culture that you see in the Mandalorian, like some of the, the, this is the way stuff like that's not in the clone wars, but would be more akin to what death watch would do than the current Mandalorian culture. For example, tell me about, uh, Bo-Katan and her sister. Who are they? What is their relationship? Clearly well, like Bo-Katan's sister well, has some kind of thing, uh, in well, the past with Obi-Wan. Well, that's what I was able to get you. Duchess Satine, the yeah. leader of Mandalore. Uh, when she was young, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon had a mission and they were, I believe, to protect her uh, in for some way, shape or form. And then Obi-Wan and her fell in love. And then they, in, in certain instances, Obi-Wan and the Republic, they'll have to aid Mandalore or they'll be in negotiations or they'll want Mandalore's help or they'll vote or like they'll just they'll want to. Uh, to garner sides or protection against the separatists. And so Obi-Wan and her, they get, there's a, a couple of little missions that occur. And so you get to see the dynamic of their relationship. And then the second arc is about uh, Death Watch, um, sorry, Darth Maul merging with Death Watch mm. to overthrow Mandalore. Uh, they do. And then Darth Maul lures Obi-Wan to murder Satine right in front of him. And oh, so... Wow. Yeah, so he gets he he's doing all these things just to like get Obi Wan's attention, and it, 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 but he does it in ways to try and destroy Obi Wan's life. And so Obi Wan has even says at one point to her, um, "All you had to do was ask, and I would have left the order." Um, like when she 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 gives him a snide like a, a comment about like you wouldn't have left, and he said, "All you had to do was ask, and I would have," sort of thing. Okay, uh, and so it's it gives you a little bit more insight into Obi Wan's appreciation and respect and willingness to play ignorant to Anakin's love with Padme, and ultimately why he has maybe not been as careful as he should have been there. That's good storytelling. Uh, I like that because Qui Gon didn't necessarily allow him, and probably or Qui Gon was. Qui-Gon was his master and he was trying to seek approval from Qui-Gon and that's not exactly the best way to do so. Right. Um, and so I think there's also been, uh, or in, in they're not also, there definitely was a master and apprentice uh, bits of Qui-Gon teasing Obi-Wan about that. Like, oh, we have to go on a mission and we're protecting a young, like try not to fall in love with her as well or something, <laughs> like little things like that. Um, and so it, it, it's really great in that regard. And Bo-Katan, um, I believe she may have been part of Death Watch at one point. I, it's been a while uh, since I watched the earlier arcs, uh, but she she is similar in the ways of old school Mandalorian culture. She's rough but, around the edges, yeah, but not in not in an extremist way of Death Watch. And so it's almost like a like a uh, like a third more middle grounded but old school minded. The very. Um, a very similar way to the Mandalores that we Mandalorians we see in the Mandalorian. Um, the most representative in that 
kind of decree. And so anyway, just kind of a quick summary on Bo-Katan beyond that. Bo-Katan uh, worked very closely with the Jedi on certain things because she was a little bit more willing to take action on things. Uh, and in Rebels, she becomes the leader of Mandalore herself and wields the Darksaber. She's right. the last one to have the Darksaber before Moff Gideon does. And so she's also highly, highly rumored slash leaked to be in the season two of The Mandalorian. Well, and I thought I heard that the voice actress who plays her in Clone Wars is going to play her in live action. And then I saw a picture yeah. and it seems like she can totally pull that off. Yeah, absolutely. It's Katie Sackhoff. Katie Sackhoff was in uh, Battlestar Galactica and like half a dozen other uh, well-revered sci-fi shows. Okay. So she's just a... a, a frequent live action sci-fi actress and yeah. so when they cast her it was probably in the back of dave filoni's mind like i'm gonna tr and he does that a lot with the mandalorians in particular like he knew that this was where he wanted to potentially go in a live action way if he could well, that's why i ask if mandalorian is really really heavily featured in these animated shows because it just seems to be lining up with the live action show they happen to make really nicely Dave Filoni really loves the culture and it's been certain key, key arcs. Uh, so it's not necessarily overwhelming, but very key arcs. And one of the main characters in Rebels, uh, Sabine, Sabine Satine, that's a little annoying, but no relation. Uh, but she's a Mandalorian as well. And so Dave Filoni is able to kind of rope things in that way. But like Kevin McKidd um, and there's a few other like actor, like live action actors who play Mandalorians in the Clone Wars and Rebels. And so it's very much like Dave Filoni went for that when casting voice actors for Mandalorians was to also get people that they could, in one way or another, down the road, he could also get them to be the live action version. Right. Okay. Which is a smart way of doing it. Now, tell me about Ahsoka. And I don't need to know so much about her history. I mean, it's pretty clear in this first introduction mm. to her that she's a freaking god when it comes to like martial arts and I don't need a jetpack yes. and all that stuff. Um but just give me the Coles notes on her having left the Jedi Order. So she was accused of murder. Oh. Um, uh, so she was accused, or, yeah, it, it was murder. It was a bombing. So there was a bombing uh, at the Jedi Temple. Um, it was, I, I forget the specifics of, of who was impacted on it, but there's this great big mystery as to who did it. But they knew, everybody knew it was an inside job. And she was the one who was framed for it. And so she had to go on the run. And then she had to go and with minimal help eventually um after like like anakin is trying to help her but eventually he's able to find a way to help her and she's able she's working to help herself uh and then they determine uh, and they're able to figure out who the um who the actual um culprit is who okay. the actual jedi that turned was and there is barris Afi. Uh, she is in the background in attack of the clones and revenge of the sith uh luminara unduli is her master Oh, yeah. um they're the they wear like black clothes and they've got like kind of like a, a tattoo underneath their chin yeah. um yeah so anyway Bar barris uh is the one who's this friend of ahsoka from a few arcs in the clone wars is the one who had actually turned on the jedi order um and had done the bombing and so ahsoka was framed uh for it and the jedi order were pretty quick to turn their back on her uh, right. oh, like anakin was the only one who didn't but mace windu was like, oh, you're going to jail. And like, they were like, all, like Palpatine like was all over it. Everybody was like gung ho to you. Oh, you did, you did it. Like that's, a, you, they stripped her of her Jedi title. And in the end they try, like Mace Windu even says like, this was your Jedi trials. Fuck that. Uh, you betrayed but me. That's exactly what she basically says. Yeah. And Anakin's like, what? No, what? 
Because uh, he, he he tried to help her the entire time, but it didn't matter because as much as she always still loved and appreciated and respected Anakin, she had lost all faith in everything that the Order stood for. So that and wasn't so them she, covering their ass. It genuinely was her Jedi trials. Like they did have some faith in her. No. Well, I, th I think both. Okay. It, it, it probably was, but at the same time, the only reason it was is because the Jedi themselves were so lost. Yeah, they're letting themselves off the hook with that. That's that's bullshit. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, and that's why, and that's why particularly they, they have Mace Windu be the one who does a majority of the shit talking in this right. in, in, in this arc, in the sense of he's the one who's really quick to to place blame. Um, I love that. That's a really good same story. with like Coyote Mundi and sort of thing. And it's an excellent story. It's it's seen as the the spiritual um, end of the Clone Wars, the TV show, before obviously this final season, because that was the end of season five, and season six was just random story arcs yeah. that were extremely interesting, but weren't necessarily chronological. Uh, like a big one, like four of them were about Yoda discovering how to become a force ghost. So well, I gotta say, I, I know there's eight episodes in this final season that lead up to this final arc that we're talking about now. But if we were to take those out of the equation and and if instead of creating a final season for the Clone Wars to wrap up that show uh, and satisfy all those kind of jilted fans, if they had just instead decided to make one theatrical movie starring Ahsoka with cameos from Hayden Christensen and like, and it was just exactly these four episodes, but in live action, it would be so friggin' sick and people mm -hmm. would love it. People would have mm -hmm. like, it would have really done good things for their theatrical reputation as creators of Star Wars movies. It, it definitely would have. It's the kind of thing that Filoni wouldn't have been given the opportunity to do. He would not have been given the budget for. Maybe. And no one was going to take it away from Filoni. It was Filoni's to do. And there's also a lot of freedom that you get with animation. Uh, that you just... And that's the reason why George Lucas loved it was because he never was restricted by the technology. I guess, but like a lot of what they do uh, in animation looks every bit as impressive as if it was done oh, yeah. practically or with CGI. Like that, that's kind of part of what makes it feel like Star Wars is like, it's, wow, this is just as beautiful. And you could also do it in a way if they could have made this a movie even as an animated movie because they started with an animated movie and it was dog shit. That's right. And Bookend the it series of movies. With like an absolutely mind-blowingly good one. Yeah. Uh, and would have been, it would have been interesting because personally it would be like it would probably fall like right below or right around Revenge of the Sith on the movie rankings. Well, then, and that's, let, that's crazy. Let's say it's not uh, live action, although I think that is a, maybe a missed opportunity. But let's just say that it's animated like the original Clone Wars movie was. And instead mm. of marketing it as a final season, they marketed it as like a movie, like a like yeah. an original Disney Plus movie, or maybe it's in a, a select amount of theaters or something. And it's exactly these four episodes, but it's just edited into a two-hour film. I think that maybe would have been a bigger deal. I think it would have been too. And they could have also made, because there are still arcs, there are two very good arcs that people didn't get in this season. There's one that is uh, where Anakin and Obi-Wan discover on Utapau uh, the Separatists who are building for Darth Sidious, uh, the Death Star. Mm. Um, they find a a mined kyber crystal to be the main crystal used for the Death Star, and they destroy it, setting Palpatine back a shit ton. Oh, wow. Um, but it, it's one of those really cool arcs, but they don't know what the fuck it's for. They think it's for some super weapon, but they don't know what it's for, and they think it's for the Separatists. Well, they hey, don't even realize it's for them. And uh, so, but like, we lost that arc, and there's also an arc 
where Boba Fett would have worn his uh, familiar uh, armor that his father wore okay. uh, with a new paint job because up until uh, throughout the Clone Wars, he hadn't quite hit his growth spurt yet, but they would have in the final season had, had him make the armor fit. As long as you mentioned kyber crystals, you did say in the recap that uh, Anakin did a little handiwork on mm. Ahsoka's lightsabers. What does that mean? Did she not always have blue lightsabers? No, she didn't. She actually she had green lightsabers. One of them was green. One of them was lime green, actually. Okay. Uh, Dave Filoni wanted it to be a yellow shadow, um, but a shadow is a short lightsaber. Okay. Um, it's usually used as a secondary one, often uh, flipped the other way. Ahsoka has both of them flipped the other way, um, and it's done generally for defense use uh, yoda has a shadow as his main lightsaber just because he's so fucking small right but uh her shadow was lime green and her main lightsaber was green uh she gave them in but because anakin and this was the intention of dave filoni was just that he's always thinking about her but at the same time uh while playing with her lightsabers he changes them to blue which is a nice like kind of a loving shared bond sort of thing and like if he's using them to sort of practice with and he makes them blue. It's kind of like a one in the same, but it's also a little bit controlling. It's also like yep. forcing his way onto her. Um, and it's interesting because she's, she's much wiser than Anakin and she learns all, she learns so many of Anakin's skills. She's not naturally as gifted in the force as Anakin, but she learns everything from Anakin, but how to do it in moderation. And it's why she becomes one of the the best characters of Star Wars. And Dave Filoni also mentioned this, uh, not directly, but indirectly. And I think it's a wonderful thing. She fills a spiritual hole in Star Wars that Qui-Gon leaves. Oh, that's she nice. fills that exact same spot in the universe and is, I think, the, the same age as when Qui-Gon dies. I think her, her birth is right around that point. I um, love her. Maybe I think off she's so cool. Point. She's Awesome. It was yeah. super annoying at the start, but that goes to show the amazing growth arc that she has. Uh, and then there's a wonderful thing like with, with Rex and her relationship. And in the first Clone Wars movie, uh, there's one thing specifically that uh, he says, see, he's, she's talking to him about ranking. Mm. She says, well, if I'm a Jedi, then that means I'm a commander and I outrank you. And he says, kid, in my experience, or kid to yeah, nothing outranks experience, or something like that. Yeah. Or, um, yeah, I think it's, it's nothing outranks experience. I, I forget what it exactly is. But anyway, later on, when they meet back up uh, in Rebels, late, uh, after having not seen each other for uh, a decade after the end of this point, um, she then gets that line back to him from all the experience that she's accrued over him in this long amount of time. And uh, they have a great relationship, very um, sibling-like, similar to her and Anakin, but a little bit more like fatherly because Rex is very tough and rough around the edges, but at the same time respects her because he's lower rank than her. I didn't, um, I didn't really even connect the first time I watched this episode that they changed the markings on their helmets to look like Ahsoka's colors. I just thought yeah. I just thought that was a cool orange helmet. And I realized when I watched it a second time today. Did you find in watching this show that it was hard to distinguish all the clone trooper characters who have their own first names and their own personalities, even though they all have the same face and voice? Very. It's yeah. a very hard thing to distinguish. Uh, the characters do... Um, shape themselves themselves in little different ways in terms of some of them are different classifications of soldier 
And so if they look a little similar, you can tell by their classification who it is, uh, some of the different haircuts, tattoos. And so there's usually some uh, distinguishing. Uh, Cody and Rex are two of the main um, troopers. They're the the main leaders of the squadrons for um, Anakin and Obi-Wan. Uh, and because uh, Ahsoka was Anakin's Padawan, that's the reason why Ahsoka and Rex have such a close relationship, because they were always part of the same crew on outings. Um, and then there's a few other ones that have interesting arcs. They're the clones about their relationship to the war. They often talk about that. It's really fascinating how they don't like the war. They don't like death. It's not an enjoyable thing. They want it to end, but if there was no war, they never would have existed. That's right. And if like, it, like they were bred for war and also in their minds, and it comes up a little bit later on, because of that, they also have no qualms with dying. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are certain instances where that doesn't always seek through, like certain Jedi, like Plo Koon. There's one episode where he's, he, he risks everything to save all of his clone troopers. And they say, like, let, let us go, sir. We're disposable. And he says, not to me. And they like, but like going out of their way to to humanize them and, and then to show that they're all part of the system. So there's a really great dynamic about the clones throughout the series. But yes, it's very difficult to distinguish one from the other. But they do have some, each of them does have their own personality, which then goes to the nature versus nurture thing, too. It's such a loaded line when somebody says uh, of the clones, loyalty means everything to the clones. It's so mm. it's so interesting <laughs> knowing knowing what's coming. Like that's clearly a, a line that's written deliberately, and it's yes, it's sad. It's very sad. Let's actually talk about some quotes because there are some excellent ones. Well, you also just kind of touched on this, but they're planning, and and somebody says we'll effectively be pulled into another war, and they say what's one more, and that's just like a yeah. great Star Wars like talking about all of this. So that's mm -hmm. that's a really good moment. Yeah, that is a that is a good line. Uh, Anakin, uh, you're not serious. There's only a thousand droids down there, tops. <laughs> uh, we already finished our battles. We came to help you with yours. Uh, your state of helplessness really sold them on my surrender. Well, we're not finished with our first one yet. Um, well, that went well, all things considered. Uh, that's um, not fair. I'm not trying to be is pretty good. Uh, was that one? This is, uh, yeah, that's an Ahsoka. That's kind of her comeback. That's an Ahsoka she's, one? She's, pre she's pretty saucy there. Uh, one other thing. I killed Maul once. Best to capture oh, yeah, him. To he doesn't seem to stay dead. Yes, that is a really good one. Um, oh, and one other thing. I killed them all once. Um, and then there's another Obi-Wan. Um, I know better than to try and stop you. Mm. That's a, on the nose. Um, let's see. This is a sweet moment between Anakin and Ahsoka um, where she says, Master Kenobi always said there's no such thing as luck. Uh, and he says, good thing I taught you otherwise. And he's leaving. And she says, Anakin, good luck. That's yeah. a nice moment. It is a nice moment. And also the the best part about that, Master Kenobi always said there's no such thing as luck from A New Hope. In my, yeah, opinion, right. in my experience, there's no such thing as luck. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's so observant. Yeah. And it's just a, it's another one of those very cool things. Uh, Dave Filoni also mentioned, I think, today in an interview that he had always wanted the last thing for them to say to each other was don't ever change. But he thought it was a little too on the nose or... <laughs> it is on the nose. What is it about that line in particular? Because it's on the nose? Well, yeah, but it, but, it's, uh, but and that's the thing. It's it's so unexpected. Yeah. It's till we see each other again. It's that kind of line. Right. And that's and that's what it's intended to be like there's no way this is the last time we're talking to each other. And, and I, I get that as like 
you it, it makes it even more tragic that that is kind of the last thing that they're just chatting about. It's like just a or a good luck. That's in that and that gives it the same sort of feeling. It does. I think that's why he did change it. It's melancholy. And then he also got the nice throwback to it too. That's right. Um, uh, Ahsoka's don't need one. Race you to the surface. Uh, Rex, the paint job is a little crude, but we think it gets the idea across. Uh, and then when she, uh, sure thing, commander, I'm no longer a commander. Sure thing, commander. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bo Katan is a couple ones. If we're successful, you'll have Maul and I'll have Mandalore. Uh, and then the what's one more. And the prime minister tells her, uh, you were never the politician your sister was. Yes. Uh, he wanted way- you. He wanted you to bring the Jedi here. You brought the wrong one. That's my only criticism of this is that um, this is just another example of Star Wars treating planets like countries. Like the uh, Mandalore has one prime minister. Yeah. 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 That's that's, that's generally how they work, though. I know. They, they, are, they, they very much are like um, they're led by their planets and, yeah. and not so much governed by districts within their planets. It would just get too complicated if they were, it like, would get so insanely complicated. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure they have them on Coruscant as well. Um, and then I was hoping for Kenobi. Why are you here? Is another right. good one from Maul. Yeah. Uh, what do you want the title to be the episode? I mean, oh, I have a bunch of stuff underlined. What's one more is pretty good. What's one more. You'll have Maul and I'll have Mandalore. Oh, that's good. I know better than to try and stop you. I killed Maul once, uh, or he doesn't seem to stay dead. Um, <laughs> That's good, too. That's very serialized. I like that. Yeah. Uh, I like that one, yeah. Or I was hoping for Kenobi is also a good one as well. Do you want to do some trivia? Trivia is sure. tough. It, it's tough for me because I don't know what you know about this That's- show. That's very fair. Yeah. Uh, and I also will just say uh, one other thing. The interesting thing about I was hoping for Kenobi is it's all that's also a lie. What was he hoping for, Anakin? He was hoping Kenobi would come because he wants to kill Kenobi for himself. Right. But he was assuming that if Obi-Wan comes, Anakin comes. And that's who I actually need right now because I need to kill Anakin Skywalker. Right, of course. And then he tells Ahsoka later on in the next yes. episode. Uh, Padawan question. In what Mandalorian city does Bo-Katan say Maul is located? Oh, presumably this is where the final act of the episode takes place. Mm. So I guess there are different regions on these planets. Oh yeah, I mean the different they have them. Um, Tatooine has like, them. We know that. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's not going to come to me. Sandari. Sandari. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I wouldn't have known that at all. No, I don't think so. I shouldn't. I have thought made it I had a one question. I thought for sure yeah. you knew Sandari. No, that one was. Uh, that was a difficult one. Um, hmm. Who was sent to protect Palpatine when General Grievous attacked Coruscant? Oh, they do say. They do. They do say for sure. I don't and think it's it... also it's in a deleted scene in Revenge of the Sith. Oh, really? That won't help me. I don't think it's going to come to me. This character has died more than any other character in Star Wars. What is that? Like canonically died more than? No, that's the whole point has like three different legends deaths and has oh. no canon death yet. <laughs> oh, interesting. Keeps... Yeah. Uh, so it's not a member of the Jedi council then. It is. There are members of the council that don't die in order 66. Well, we don't know. Like it's, I believe the canon until otherwise not canon yeah. death is that she is one of the first people Anakin murders um, or was the one protecting the younglings. Uh, but Anakin murders her, as I believe the uh, unidentified canon way she dies. Okay, what's her name? Shakti. 
Yeah, I would never have gotten that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jedi Knight question. Who is the Prime Minister of Mandalore? Almec. Almec. So that's a known thing. Uh, well, he's in a, a handful of episodes, and he's mentioned enough in this one that, yeah. But yeah, he's he was uh, he wasn't always corrupt. In the fair, I think in the first the, for the entirety of maybe the entire first arc, he wasn't as seen as a corrupt character. Or maybe towards the end of it, he was determined like, oh, he was secretly corrupt, but he wasn't. From the first time we saw him, he was seen as a good guy. That's funny because to me, he feels like your typical staunch, uh, two-dimensional kind of uh, old man Star Tarkin-esque. Wars villain, Tarkin-esque Star Wars villain. Yeah, yeah. Except it's he wears he wears gold. It's the way that they're introduced. He has some badass Mandalorian uh, armor slash uh, what's a uh, uniform. In general, I thought the Mandalorian armor in this was all much cooler than the Mandalorian armor in all of the Mandalorian series, unless you actually count uh, Din's armor. Like, I loved, like, the the red stuff that, like, the troopers are wearing. There is, like, to, I don't know why, but my landslide favorite a Mandalorian armor is the heavy infantry trooper from the Mandalorian. John Favreau's one. Oh, yeah. Like, the the way the helmet is shaped, it's, it's shaped to be just a little bit bigger. It looks like it's just better structured it looks a little bit meaner it's it's just a very very cool but yeah of course all the mandalorian outfits in this uh are far shinier and flashier Leaner and, as well yeah well exactly well, also cartoon to a degree exactly as well and even more so in um in rebels <laughs> right right uh okay your turn i think uh yes my next question uh where does the opening battle occur um Urbana. Okay. I've never heard of that before. Just a planet in the galaxy far, far away. Uh, master question. What is Anakin's subspace frequency? Jeez. This felt like a throwaway thing, so I figured it was probably a good master question. Like, is it like a number? Nope. It's what they say is his sub. There's, there's someone trying to reach you on your subspace frequency when it's Ahsoka trying to contact him in the opening scene. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not even sure how to answer this question. It's just a word. It's just a word. Okay. Like like the same way like a squadron would be like Echo or Bravo or Delta. Exactly. Or, yep. Uh, is it, it's not Charlie. Is it? Is it alphanumeric in that regard? No. Okay, then I'm never going to guess it. It's Fulcrum. Oh, fuck. I forgot. Fuck. That's actually, that's a take back I have here. So that's. Interesting. Okay, explain. Because yeah, there's a problem with that. See, specifically, it, that's actually. That's not a that's not a correct question. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, because specifically, it, that's not what the the device or the transmission or the frequency is called. That's who they're saying is on like the line um, is oh. Code Fulcrum. But Code Fulcrum is what Ahsoka uses for the rebellion. Oh, okay. So it doesn't make sense that she's called Fulcrum at this point. They recycle. Maybe it. I'm misinterpreting something, or maybe she. Um, I, I, but that's, that's one of the things I have as a take back because I don't understand, I only have two take backs that, and, um, the battle droids are always even a little dumber in the clone wars, which is a bit annoying. They are pretty they, they dumb make them here. Even yeah. dumber in the clone wars that, and, and the fact that I'm just, I'm, I'm very confused. It's like, it's similar to Luke on Tatooine. Like that just doesn't seem like that should be the same. Right. It seems a little too like, Hey Vader, you remember that time I paged you as Fulcrum? Don't think that the Fulcrum Rebel Spy is me, though. Right. So. Okay, I gotcha. 
However, it is a repurposed alias by a lot of different people. So maybe it would just be assumed that like, oh, some random, there's no way it's still Ahsoka. Um, so it just felt like a buzzword to me. Yeah. Uh, okay. Your last um, one, which I'm not going to get. I actually, I did have one of my master questions was um, what's, what's all next name. It was like what politician acts as Maul's puppet, but um, <laughs> where does Ahsoka obtain the information as to the past whereabouts uh, on Maul, of Maul? Uh, I don't know. The... You can give me the location, the species, or how. Okay. Is it Coruscant? No. See, I was just thinking like the record center where what's her name works that you, that lady you hate. Jocasta New at yeah. the Jedi Library? No. Yeah. This is like a clue game. Jocasta New with a knife in the Jedi Library. That's <laughs> her with the candlestick holder. Uh, I don't know. With Dooku's statue that she's in love with. <laughs> there should be a Star Wars clue. There has to be. That probably has to be. That's I'm sure point. there is. Uh, no, it's a transmission codes from the Pikes and Obadiah. Okay. A lot of this stuff so, kind of bogs over. Yeah, the, yeah, the Pikes uh, are the syndicate that they rob uh, on Castle in Solo. Yeah, that's right. That rings a bell. Yeah. Okay, uh, any other observations about this episode of TV? I did want to make mention of Mr. John Williams when he gives her those two lightsabers back. The music is, I mean, it's classic Star Wars, uh, Twin Sunset music. It's beautiful. Yeah, and Kevin Kiner uh, does the music for the Clone Wars, and he is sensational the way that he uh, ropes in elements of John Williams and brings it and just evokes John Williams. He absolutely should be doing some of the movies and other yes, roles. for sure. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping he's working on some other Star Wars stuff, but uh scoring that's the kind of thing there's no reason why he he shouldn't get a uh, a crack at a movie at some point in the near future uh because it, i don't i don't know maybe the mandalorian the mandalorian seems to just be going with like a singular uh, like Ludwig Göransson as their composer but um and that's generally what the shows have done as a singular composer so it also it, has it its seems own, like a long gig it has its own sonic uh, autograph the mandalorian yeah. like it, it kind of makes sense well, and that's the thing. And so maybe maybe he'll um, continue to do the animated shows, but it would be nice to see him get an opportunity like to do the Cassian or like the Obi-Wan scoring or something like that, You're where right. it's like maybe it's just a little bit of a sample in a live action world that could get him uh, beyond that. Just just as an interesting uh, fun fact about our podcast as it relates to this episode, this is the official uh, 79th episode of our podcast, and it's episode 7.9 of The Clone Wars that we're talking about which is a, yeah. a really remarkable coincidence. It's called, that is a remarkable it's, coincidence. It's called Old Friends Not Forgotten, which is fine. It's an yeah. okay title. Yeah, there's some titles that aren't great, and there are some titles that are excellent. Uh, the, um, the Phantom Apprentice. Yeah, that's sick. That is the greatest fucking title ever. Yeah. Um, uh, I also have some, just some best moments that I want to run through. And okay. the fact, just because it was so nice to have two take backs and like, I don't know, like 15 best moments. It felt great. Yes. It's uh, uh, really but the good. old school Lucasfilm intro mm. uh, and the original crawl music. Uh, they don't start Clone Wars, uh, Clone Wars episodes out with the original crawl music, uh, but except for these last four. And it's and my so understanding. They usually, really cool. they usually start out episodes of this show with what's called the star Wars fortune cookie. And we don't get one of those here either. Yeah, no, we don't get the, the little um, life lesson sort of yeah, thing that they do in the, uh, a long time ago, uh, in a galaxy far, far away font. Right. Obi-Wan cutting the missile to save Commander Kobe with his lightsaber at yeah. the start of the episode is an awesome way. Just he just slides right in. So cool. 
Uh, it's great. Uh, R2's eye popping up from the side. So Return of the Jedi. It is, uh, and I I also really like that whole sequence though. I like seeing him Spider Man on the outside of the tankard. Like it's it's just really it's so interesting to see R two defy gravity with magnets oh, or yeah. whatever it is. It's just he's the greatest. He's, he's awesome. And then like, but everything with Anakin's move, like obviously the cockiness, but then using the force pull to just yes. pull him from like half a kilometer away. I How love come force that's pull. not done more. I love force pulls and force jumps. I just it, I'm like a little oh, kid when yeah. I see them done well. Like, it's just like you want to be able to like select from your force abilities and like how come they don't use them more i know anakin uses like to pull the pair and like do that stuff you want to see more like fancy ass shit like that and that droid probably weighs like 500 pounds and he just, <laughs> he just pulls it at himself like nothing <laughs> oh exactly and that's the thing he yes is, uh, he is the chosen one that's right really only one other uh thing to say uh just the ahsoka's um like the falling with style thing was awesome as yes. she's going through and just balancing between places and kicking people's ass uh and the way that they kind of crash land similar to the way the crash landing occurs in like revenge of the sith but she's not the one piloting she's the just on top and jumps on to land and then does the like cool guys don't look at explosions moment exactly it's, it's almost over the top cool what it, she pulls it off. is yeah. but at the same time it, it's worth it and uh it, it it makes the the fall pretty cool. So, uh, okay, we good? Yeah, that's it. So yeah. there are some Star Wars news things to talk about. Yeah, there definitely are. Um, is there anything that you specifically wanted to mention? No, but you take the lead. I mean, I guess uh, the one I I sent you a note about today is that uh, celebration is off for the year. Yes. Yeah. So celebration uh, canceled this year, and or I should say postponed from mid-August this year to mid-August 2022. Which sucks. And so that's implying that there won't be one next year or this year. Really, they should do a mini online celebration this year in like September yeah. and then do a full-fledged online celebration next summer. So what is the uh, value in... time to plan for it. What is the value in not having it in 2021 where they don't really know what the landscape of, of crowd restrictions and stuff is going to be like next year? Is it just that they won't have anything to show off by then? <laughs> That's likely the case. They're thinking, okay, we're not necessarily, like, they're not scheduled to release another movie until 2022. Right. And so if they can get away with doing it online, which they super fucking can, it's all about release announcements and panels and cool things like that. Yeah. They don't always, yeah, but they don't always record those things either. Right. Because a lot of them, they are exclusive. And so have it so that, like, everybody who wants to attend can pay. Like ten bucks online or five bucks online. Hell, I would pay that to be able to be able to see four or five hours worth of panels versus the fifteen minutes to go up on YouTube or the hour and fifteen minutes to go up on YouTube because they usually take like with one key panel or something like that. But there's some like some definite things that they could do. It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. It's probably them just saying if we're going to like it, that's the th it doesn't make sense for them to do nothing online if they do nothing online and wait until 2022 then this is just a stupid idea i think so if too. they decided well we have to push it this year let's just also maybe do the same thing and set up the infrastructure to just do it for two years because we don't necessarily know or maybe they will reschedule something for next year if they can get a location but because anaheim was the location for this year they wanted to ensure people could get those tickets there's also potential that they just pushed Anaheim's out that far and that there could be one next year done in a different location, which would be awesome. Outside of the U.S. potentially makes a little bit more sense and would they've done them in the U.K. before. So that could totally work, whereas there's less of a COVID impact. Right. Okay. 
Uh, but beyond that, there were like a kind of a couple announcements. Uh, Project Maverick was finally released, and it is Star Wars Squadrons. Mm. And so this is a video game that will not be a full-priced video game. And so it will have story mode uh, and online, a small story mode. Uh, and it's, I think, going to be like like a, like a racing it, – it's a pilot game. And so, like, you can customize your spaceship, and there's you're a rebel or uh, an imperial. It takes place after Return of the Jedi, but before the Battle of Jakku, where the Empire truly falls. Um, and so, it takes place kind of almost like as a sequel to the uh, the main story arcs in Battlefront Two, the the video game. And so, it could be kind of interesting. There's not a ton of information out there, but I uh, this was a side project they were working on, so it's not the main thing that EA has been working on. Uh, so Jedi Fallen Order 2 is likely going to be the next bigger release. There may be something else as well. But this is just kind of a side thing, and it seems to scratch an itch for people. And I don't think they're doing the micro microtransactions, so that's helpful Okay. Uh, for the people that want to see a game in that regard. And let's face it, the Star like, before it was sold to Disney, there was a Star Wars video game like every year, even when there was nothing. That's true. Like Back in the Star Wars Prime, there was like four or five a year in the early 2000s. So there's no reason that there shouldn't be an ability to have a Star Wars game a year and have it not necessarily be like Battlefront 1, Battlefront 2, Battlefront 3, but have it be a variety of things. And if for 2020 it's going to be a smaller one called Squadrons, great. It's still something new and different and appeases a certain audience. Do you know when off the top of your head the Lego Skywalker Saga game comes out? Oh, I don't know it off the top of my head. It is this year, though. I'm curious about um, that. And that could be a ton of fun. I have so, not... Too. I've not played uh, the Lego Star Wars games before, but I've heard they're great, and I've heard the Lego games in general are great. Yeah, they so, are. Yeah. Uh, this one, uh, it's done, like, you can, I think, play any of the movies kind of, like, in any order you want sort of thing. Uh, and so that's kind of cool. And you can just kind of pick it up and say, ah, I want to play Empire today. And, well, I'm a Switch guy, so my video gaming options are limited. So I think that'll be uh, definitely be on, cool. on my list. Yeah, well, in video games now, there's the expensive as hell console generation that's coming up, and so that will uh, also change things. I know it will, yeah. PS5, yikes. Yeah. Uh, there is the, uh, what is it called? The Jedi uh, Temple TV show that started with Ahmed Best. Oh, yeah. Um, and so it was just funny to kind of hear him talk about uh, his Jedi that he plays as the host. It's a canon Jedi. His name is Keller and Beck. Um, he is, uh, has family relation to the a background character he played in Attack of the Clones, Ahmed Beck, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, who, and he says he's also, he alluded to potentially being related to Mace Windu's character, which makes the galaxy nice and small, but at the same time is cool because that's a cool bloodline. And I didn't realize makes, he was doing this in character. That's kind of fun. Yeah. He's the host, but it's like, he's, uh, he's, he's like a jedi master who's supposed to be teaching kids in sort of way they're trying to make it seem in canon while the kids are there and i haven't watched the show but uh it's apparently really cool and it just makes uh anyone who watches it jealous that it wasn't something they could have done when they were 10 yeah that sounds like a blast (laughs) which i think is awesome yeah um there's a book uh queen's peril that's going to be coming out and that one follows the queen's shadow story and so it's about padme and her handmaidens again that book was one that didn't seem that interesting but as i mentioned before some of the star wars books i don't necessarily i'm not always compelled to go back and read the way i'm like with a thrawn book but i did finish that one in a reasonable amount of time so that one is one that maybe didn't seem super engaging but 
was a good enough uh, character story that I was able to to get through it. So that'd be one that could be potentially pretty interesting as well. Right. Uh, to see Padme fleshed out better, which is always nice to see. Uh, and if it's written similar to the way they write Leia, which it has been, um, Claudia Gray has done an excellent job there. And uh, no, this isn't a Claudia Gray one, but still. It's, so always good to kind of see, be in the minds of characters. But because being in the mind of the character is so great with Thrawn, it's interesting to see how or if he could transfer to live action. Mm -hmm. There has been a ton of rumors around that now. Okay. That whether it's its own project or it's Mandalorian or it's uh, something else or the Cassian show, uh, but that Thrawn could be coming live action. Now, with that, that's very cool. I've mentioned before that I think it's uh, an abomination and idiotic to not use Lars Mikkelsen. Yeah, but you might want to set yourself up for disappointment because that's not a famous name. It's not, but he is a live action actor first, yep. and he played a sensational, sensational, chilling bad guy um, in um, Sherlock okay. and is the voice of Thrawn. And so it's a, it's an excellent choice, and it's the one that there's a chance for. Yep. However, I have been thinking about it just in terms of because I don't want to get my hopes too high. And I saw a piece of artwork that was done for Celebration last year. And it was all of the movies and Rebels and Clone Wars, and it had little like character art of all of them. But they live actioned the Rebels and Clone Wars characters. Okay. For this mural, and the live action, like the way that they brought Thrawn to a live action likeness, it looks exactly like Pierce Brosnan. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and it got me thinking. Wow. He has. Enough of a like a tone in his voice that if he brought some acting chops to it, it would be a very different role for him, and it could be maybe interesting. I can't imagine him playing a villain. I mean, like I know he's a villain in Mrs. Doubtfire, but he's genuinely a good man in that. And he's exactly. also he's not like a lurid physical uh, presence. You know what I mean? He like, doesn't need to be. No, no, not at all. Uh, it's Tron's a purely a tactician. I mean, he is good at martial arts, but that wouldn't necessarily hurt now there is a big thing though that i thought about it and this is the thing for me is how old is he going to be and i don't exactly understand the aging of the chess species and so when you think of that pierce brosnan maybe could be an option um but if if lars mickelson isn't the choice pierce brosnan could be a good one jason isaacs is the one that makes a lot of sense well we know he's a good, um, he's, a, he's a good like he is presence. a a very often fan casted one, and I believe may have been. I think it was even said that he was the inspiration for how he was uh, the Thrawn books. The art was done on Thrawn's face. Interesting. And so it, it does. It does kind of work. The voice would be excellent. Uh, and so if you're going for that age group, I'm, I'm like Jason Isaacs beats Pierce Brosnan and Lars Mikkelsen beats uh, both of them. And then if you have to go for a slightly younger one, the answer is also an obvious fan casting one, but does really, really, really work is Benedict Cumberbatch. And it sure. makes perfect sense. You know uh, what, though? People are going to have a problem with him playing both Thrawn and Khan. That is definitely a possibility. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he would look a little different uh, in the sense of um, the eyebrow bones are uh, slightly protruding and blue skin and red eyes. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it would be interesting in that regard. That would be pretty on the nose. Yeah, uh, it would definitely make sense. He's good, and I would put him in Star Wars for obvious reasons. 
Exactly. And so that's where my mindset was. And I just, I, I, I thought about it when I was reading some of these articles, because like, they're all bringing up who could play him. They all do mention Lars Mikkelsen, which is great. But after, it's just, I'm curious. And so uh, it, there's a chance they wouldn't do that. And then I also thought about it in Eli Vanto, who is uh, Thrawn's sidekick from the, the books. He would be someone who'd be really cool to bring into live action. He is a top 30 Star Wars character. He is extremely interesting. He is a kind of a backwater rural hick who's extremely good at math. And Thrawn takes him under his wing. And they have a very weird, interesting relationship. Um, and it, it, he's a very cool character, very interesting um, the only character in Star Wars that it works to have a southern U.S. accent. Um, and so, yeah, I'd be interested to see uh, them bring some of the things that you read about the Thrawn books to, to, to live action. But the mindset thing is an interesting thing because the, the reason why those books are so great is because you're seeing what's in Thrawn's mind. So I'd be curious to know how it would translate. It did well in Rebels, but TBD if it would be him as the main character in that. Exactly. All right, we good? Uh only other thing I think is uh, the, from a certain point of view, Empire Strikes Back edition. So from a certain point of view that told stories that fell along the lines of A New Hope, oh. uh, that kind of filled in some blanks there uh, for the 40th anniversary of Empire Strikes Back. They'll be releasing that version for that movie this that's year. Huge. That's huge. Uh, that's so That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. So that's going to be one that will uh, allow for a bunch of other uh, little stories here and there. I mean, like even in the first, a certain point of view, they had things that weren't like maybe things that took place during a new hope, but like a story of Yoda on Dagobah, mm. um, just like in the moments, having a conversation with brand new force ghost, Obi-Wan after he dies on the death star, just like, Hey, so what are we going to do about all this? And, <laughs> and sort of thing, or it, it would be, it would be really cool to see potentially some of, uh, Vader's thoughts during that, uh, movie. So are they going to so try and do this cool. with like a lot more of the movies? Like, is this a pretty slow rollout, but do you think they'll do that? Like then again with, uh, return of the Jedi or phantom menace? Cause like a, from a certain point of view, phantom menace would be very rich. Yeah. To learn like stories, side stories and like captain Panaka and CO Bibble and the yes. Viceroy, like that would be so cool. And so let's see. Um, We're kind of getting that with, uh, uh, Attack of the Clones and um, Revenge of the Sith, though, through animated TV series. Like, what's That's happening meanwhile? That is true. Definitely true. Um, yeah, I don't... Like, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, that's that's true, but The Phantom Menace, that's an interesting one, because that would be really, really cool. You could you would get the same, if not a greater effect, than any of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's an interesting one. Maybe they would do them for the 30th anniversary of those ones, so that'd be still a... Like yeah. a decade away, but can't really do the 20th anniversary on um, Phantom Menace now. No, well, that movie came out in like 98, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. 98 or 9. Yeah, it'll be there before you know it. Exactly. The 25th, even in three years, you could do it on the 25th anniversary. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so I want to say happy birthday to, uh, on Tuesday, June 9th, which was a few days ago, uh, happy birthday to Queen Amidala, Natalie Portman. And oh, yeah. the next day, Wednesday, June 10th, happy birthday to Bill Burr which uh, is a nice transition into uh, got a cast one for this week. He, of course, uh, has a, an excellent performance in King of Staten Island, which came out on VOD on Friday. Two other great actors who appear in King of Staten Island are Marissa Tomei and Steve Buscemi. Got a cast one of them in Star Wars. Who's it going to be? Thank you for not giving me Pete Davidson. No, that's, that's too weird. 
Uh, yeah, exactly. Because the other one would have been the answer. Yeah, no, Marissa um, Tomei and Steve Buscemi, like they're they're the greatest. They they both could yeah. work. Yeah. They both could work. Steve Buscemi, uh, he looks like an alien <laughs> for sure. That's too easy. Uh, but that's like he could also be an alien. He wouldn't make sense as a droid. You could make him as just a really weird looking human, which probably is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't make him. Uh, well, you could maybe make him a main character. It would make more sense for him to be a weird uh, side character along the way, like a Dexter's Diner sort of character, but maybe somebody who makes shit worse. Um, He's not much of a Beckett. No, definitely not. I struggle with that. Um, He's quite old. Someone, someone of like Sebulba level significance. Sure. Um, but not civil, obviously, or like Watto level significance, a so Watto type character. You're describing an early turn of the century Adam Sandler Star Wars movie. No, I, <laughs> I think he could work as, uh, you know, you don't necessarily need to make him silly. I'm not talking about like his hobo character from Mr. Deeds. Um, <laughs> but. No, I think you can make him very weird in that regard. And then, of course, you can make him an alien and anything. And Marissa Tomei. Yeah, he should be a good politician. Should be a good, just standard character. I don't know if she's necessarily um, be a phenomenal like lead for a Star Wars. I don't know if it's necessarily. I would I would go with Steve Buscemi, but I'd be fine with either. I think Marissa Tomei would probably be good in a, in a political role. Yeah, she's uh, just maybe so even in a maybe even in an evil political role where she's potentially pay, playing your Palpatine esque type, someone who's not who they seem to be. Um, That'd be cool. And you know, we're kind of long overdue for a, a female Tarkin esque yes. figure. Yes, absolutely. Uh, someone uh, who doesn't suck like Phasma. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, needing someone who's got us like a like a pride character, uh, or if Hux didn't become a total idiot in <laughs> After the Force Awakens, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think that that would be if you were to do a 10, 11, 12, um, That is an archetype that you can fill. You don't have to fill because the prequels doesn't don't necessarily go in that same sort of road. But it would be good to have uh, an evil uh, female villain mm-hmm. in the next Star Wars saga. Uh, it just seems missing and also I've, i have actually been thinking about that and i think the next best villain to to focus on for star wars is avaloth and uh that's a woman and that's the mother of the force basically oh, uh, she is she, she is mother nature basically so there's the father there's the son and the daughter and that's the mortis arc we learn about them we don't learn about the mother the mother is abeloth who has not been canonized but uh aligned in legends and has many tales and is the appropriate next step up um, in like raising the stakes of a bad guy that isn't like saying, oh, this one's stronger than Palpatine even. It's they're not even in the same playing field. Um, One's a human, one's a god. That sounds pretty cool. That sounds like high stakes, but I'm into it. Yeah, I think it could be really cool. Um, Do some like uh, Hercules-esque style storytelling. Um, I think it could be kind of cool. Right. All right. Well, uh, so that is episode uh, season seven, episode nine of the Clone Wars. This is on Disney Plus. Uh, if you want to be the caught Siege up, of Mandalore arc. That's right. If you want to be caught up to where we are uh, by the end of next week's podcast, uh, listen to or watch episode 
10 of season seven. We're doing this final four episodes of the series. Uh, in the meantime, you can send us a tweet at recorder66, email recorder66podcast at gmail.com, rate and review on your preferred podcast app, and until we are together again, may the force be with you. Always. Always.